This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day there. Thanks for listening. It's episode 50 this week, and what better way to celebrate than to chat with a legend of Australian comedy. This week's guest is the one and only Glenn Robbins. Glenn and I talked about his early career, uh, the different characters he's played, and how they came about, and what he's up to now. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Glenn Robbins, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Pleasure. Nice to be here. Oh, great. Thanks for coming around. You've just come back from New Zealand, a bit of a golf holiday. Look, I reluctantly talk about having a golf holiday because it does, <laughs> does sound a little bit indulgent and I don't know, it's, it's, and it's a little bit clear. But look, it's, it's a time free... of year. It's holiday time. You can do what you want. Yeah, I guess. You know, but it's, I drive an Audi. I do golf <laughs> holidays. I live Bayside. Really, I need a slap, don't you think? Seriously, I'm a bit annoying. I, I think many people would take that opportunity. Yeah, I know they chance. would, but I just don't like to talk about it. It's just yeah. not talk about it mm. too much, you know. Yeah. I think people listening would like to hear that you've been on a nice golf holiday. I think that's a nice thing. Well, look, let's be honest. Men need to do things with other men. Hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> for, for, for your own mental well-being, you need to yeah. get away and just spend time where you talk about stuff and yeah. you – you got a grip of sticks and a little ball and a hole in the ground, mm. and it's very important. Yes, you know how you get the little ball into the little <laughs> hole in the ground, and you somehow value your um, your integrity or no your personality in terms of how many times you hit the ball to get it in the hole in the ground, mm. or you can just figure it all out and really enjoy it. Yeah, you know. And yet, yes, you could have played somewhere close to home. I could, but yeah, I could have. Yeah, there's one just across the road for me. <laughs> I must admit. Uh, I was playing with Rob Sitch, and he said he often compares because I surf as well, mm-hmm. and I know I like to play golf, and he uh, he wants to surf, but the the real passion in surfing is that it's a real it's not competitive in that mm-hmm. sense, whereas I guess with golf you're playing against yourself, you're playing yeah. against your own ability or inability to confront the shot presented. Was riding a wave, it's purely just yeah. 
you're still in a bit of a battle with yourself to make sure you get up and. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess you have do to the pop sort of, and everything. Yeah, but it's not you don't when you kick off the wave you don't get a score. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, you do if you you know you know like Kelly Slater, but um, but I but there's actually now a a wave machine in Tullamarine. I in saw Victoria. that. Yeah. Yeah. Where the water it, looks extremely filthy. Did you see? Did it look yeah. dirty? Did it? Yeah, it looks filthy, but I'm sure it's fine. Maybe it's just better than. Pure better than just to make sure everybody's safe, but it looks oh, well, interesting. But the wave looks great. That's yeah, the, the wave thing. looks fantastic. But it is that thing of man-made. What 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 feeling do you get when you ride something that's man-made? Mm. Anyway, mm. what feeling do you get? So when you ride a wave that's made by nature. Oh, I'm getting you're jotting this down. <laughs> How often a week do you surf? Do you? Oh, I don't surf that much. No. I, yeah. uh, I've been going down to the west coast of Victoria since I was a kid. So, oh. you know, if the planets align and it's, you know, and the surf is good mm. and I've got some mates who will pick me up and put their – because I don't like to put the board on the top of the Audi. <laughs> you know, so uh, if they'll pick me up and, uh, you know, as I said, the planets align, I'll um, go – so look, probably once every couple of months. But over the summer, I'll surf a bit more. Yeah. Do you yeah. talk the lingo amongst the surfers and – all, all, if you, I, a little bit of lingo, but if you want to point out where, and you can have this, if you want to point out where a wave is, if we're standing together at the beach, mm. you point with your middle finger. Just try it now. Just go, there's a nice little break just over there. You don't point with the index finger. No. You go, like, there's a little break just there. It's a little left-handed, a little trough just there. See how you feel. You feel a little bit more. And you bend the fingers back like that. It's a bit more rock and roll. It's a bit more rock and roll. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. A bit more artistic. Um, so you've been going down there since you were a kid. Yeah. So you were born and raised in Melbourne? Yeah. 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 What, what yes, area? Yes, officer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I grew up in the northern suburbs in Strathmore, which is… Out near the airport, is it? Yeah, where yeah. they shot the castle. Ah, oh, cool. Next to Oak Park, which is the world of Underbelly. Yeah. A few stops short of Broadmeadows, which is a… You know, was a notorious part of town. Eddie Maguire came from Broadmeadows. Yeah. Um, and we came from Strathmore, which was a little middle, little uh, upper middle Bogan section of um, <laughs> uh, of uh, the northern suburbs around yeah. Essendon. Did that and seem a long way out from the city when you It were? did. Mm. It did. Because I know when we're, Dad, can we go to, and we'd say, can we go watch the golf or whatever? And he'd say, no, that's the other side of town. The other side <laughs> of town seemed... <laughs> Like another country. Yeah, would all. Yeah, and like, where are we today? We're in Malvern. Mm. That we would never have come to Malvern. <laughs> we sort of just stayed in our hood, you know. <laughs> uh, were you a performer when you were a kid amongst family and friends? Yeah. Mm. Trying to get a laugh? Yeah, trying to be the focus in the room. Apparently I was. Apparently when I was three, I went and saw a play and I said to my mum, I want to do what that man does up there. Three? Yeah. Then did she put you into a few commercials and things? or No... But she encouraged me. I didn't do anything at all, really. I remember standing by the side of the stage when we had the school play, thinking, I really want to do that. Mm. But I didn't have the guts to do right. it. Yeah. And, then, and then when I left, did secondary, I finished year 12, I got into Footscray Tech and did drama there. Right. And then I left there. I'm jumping forward here a bit. But I left there and worked in insurance. So, in other words, I was kind of denying what I really wanted to do. Mm. I needed to get a real job. I think my mum was encouraging, my dad wasn't. And I remember thinking, 
if I don't answer this voice in my head to perform, mm. I was sitting in an insurance company. Yeah. And I thought if I stay here for another 10 years, I'll move from this desk here to that desk over there in the corner. <laughs> yeah. And that, that'll be it. And it made me audition for studying drama at um, Melbourne State College, which was Melbourne Uni. Right. Yeah. So, you, so your dad was a bit reluctant for you to go into that? Yeah, I think, or, yeah. That, yeah. I'm guessing back then, is this 70s, late 70s? Yeah, early 70s. Uh, so late 70s, yes. Yeah. Yes, late yeah. 70s. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing the industry of acting, and oh. it would have been tiny compared to – even now it's hard to get into. Yeah, now – now, yeah, you couldn't get you, well. The best you could, yeah, you couldn't get anything, let alone do comedy. Mm. Comedy just wasn't even on the radar. Mm. There was no, there weren't TV shows to go to. There was no internet. There was no radio. wasn't using comedians. Um, now there's so many outlets. So do you even think about venturing into? I didn't. I actually wanted to go into acting, not mm. into comedy. I didn't even know what stand-up comedy was. Right. What 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 sort of comedy were you watching? Were you, were you watching TV shows that? Had yeah, I mean, I'm from the. The Benny Hill yeah. era, you know, uh, the two Ronnies, the not the nine o'clock news, Python, mm-hmm. Faulty Towers, so predominantly British. Yeah, but I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's any American ones in there. No, they, they weren't. Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't come into it until I finished uni. Mm. And and then so you went acting first. Was your first choice? Yeah, yeah. Did drama. So I became did a drama teacher. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. So you studied. Teaching as well as yeah, law. so I went out and then so what what I did was quit insurance. I quit insurance and then mm-hmm. while I was at insurance doing insurance, I auditioned for the course and then got in and then did that for four years and then went into teaching part time emergency teaching. Yeah, and so I'd teach during the day and do gigs at night and they right. would so we do and I was doing I started off doing character monologue because that's what I'd learnt from. Mm-hmm. Watching um, the likes of Humphreys and people yeah. like that, Barry Humphreys, and that slipped into hosting. Okay. So my spots were always character based. Uncle Arthur. Yeah. A lot of the characters I used on the comedy company were well established in the in the, in the cabaret world. Yeah. Okay. So were there wasn't many stand up gigs around then. Was it more? Were you, so you doing it was more when nights? I yeah in the eighties it was more cabaret. Mm. There was very few people doing the stand up. Isn't that interesting that it's that it's that new to Australia? That yeah, that's not. It was a lot of character base. There was the Whittle family. There was you know, but then like there was Shane Bourne, Richard Stubbs, Wendy Harmer. Uh, they were they kind of were the first to sort of, and we'd all been to the US and seen the stand up thing, mm. which was a one man in his microphone. I remember going and seeing cabaret or seeing stand up at. A joke, last laugh, and because I was theatre trained, and I did, I actually didn't didn't know what stand up was. I was kind of knew there was the old time guys that that you know those Vegas sort of stand ups, yeah. And because I came from a theatre background, there was the fourth wall. You know what mm. the fourth wall? Yeah, the fourth yeah. wall. So when the when the audience sang out at me, I went, I can, because I was doing character. Yeah. can I talk back? Yeah. I mean, I'd seen Humphreys, and he'd obviously talk back to the audience, but. It was a whole yeah. So there was there was music acts, there was magic acts, there was, I was it. It was a lot of character based stuff. Everything right. was character based. Yeah, and then yeah. eventually, did the stand up start to become really popular in Melbourne? Yeah, it just started started. to turn over with, and then bit by bit, around about the mid mid eighty. I think I'm right. The mid eighties, kind of the next wave came along, which was the Tim Smiths and the Andrew Good ones and the Russell Gilbert and mm-hmm. and all that sort of next, and they were all straight. Down the line, stand up yeah. pretty much. I could be wrong here, it's a long time ago. Um, 
straight stand up. So, yeah. so it was an exciting thing because because yeah, there was more make believe. There was more mm. there was more going with the journey of a character, mm. which we see a little bit of now, but not as much. No. Um, and I get quite excited because audiences love make believe. Mm. They love pretendies. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's definitely switched to that, you know, personal people just talking about their pure life now. This yeah. Is them. Um, yeah. Unless, yeah, that make believe angle. But yeah. I still I still love watching a comedian that's the make believe. You just yeah, let your mind go and Yeah, you just enjoy it. Yeah, you just go with you go with the journey. Mm. And certainly I was I was probably braver in character than I was in stand I learned they said to me You've been doing some character stuff. We'd like you to start hosting. So I had to learn how to be myself on stage. And I didn't know how to be myself on stage because mm. I've always done it through all my characters. Yeah. And I had to do, learn to be a version. Of, and I'm still not great at it. I'm still happier in character. Uh, and I'm, as I said, I'm braver. And I have a different mindset. I'll tend to do – I'm a bit more – there's a sense, more sense of mischief mm-hmm. when I'm in character Cause, because you're hiding behind something. Yeah. It's not really me. And I think when I'm doing me, there's a fear of being – found out or there's a fear of being not being funny i guess you know <laughs> right so um well you can tell from what you've done that character you can tell that you're quite comfortable doing characters yeah it's definitely yeah. something you're well known for yeah um when you were you were teaching during the day stand up at night were you still getting the odd acting role yeah i time? started off doing commercials a lot of commercials oh really do you yeah. remember any stand out well hamish and any Actually, found my one of my my very first commercial, which was just <laughs> jeans, and the premise was a guy goes on tries on a pair of jeans, and he goes into the changing room, and every different pair of jeans he tries on, he he drops into a different character. I think that was the premise. Mm-hmm. So you got to use your yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, and it was very popular the ad, but I just went on from there, just to, and I ended up being kind of average dad. A lot of the time, okay, you know, a lot of you know, I did stuff for the Christian Television Association. I did, <laughs> I did stuff for Great Western, RACV, um, but it taught me how to. It taught me film because ads then were shot on film. They weren't shot on video. Okay. They were actually shot on film. Yeah, so I learned to be around a set. Mm. Shoot I'd, days a lot longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's kind of the the langu- language of film and the you know the. Mm. So I learned. Which is really good going into, into sketch comedy after that. I kind of knew how a set worked. Yeah. So it just, it was, you know, I learned just through through being around it for mm. such a long time. So you're in around the scene then in the late 80s, uh, yep. doing yep. a bit of stand up, a bit of yep. acting, a yep. bit of drama. Uh, and so the comedy company came around around that time? Yeah, no, the, the, what happened was there was a the government grant set up to develop a show which ended up being a show called. It was called the Eleventh Hour. That's right, and it had the likes of Ian McFadden, Marianne Fay, Mark Mitchell. And what happened was that show went to air eleven o'clock on a Friday night, I think. It had Steve Vizard in it, and the core of that sort of split. Um, some people were in, under McFadden were invited then to do a pilot called the Comedy Cup for the Comedy okay. Company. Yeah. And I remember doing the pilot for the Comedy Company, and I said to Kim Gingell. Because they said, oh, it got up. And Kim and I both went, that got up? <laughs> Seriously? They took that? So there, then there was the kind of the Visard group, which was, uh, oh, you know, Jane Turner and Michael Veach. And mm-hmm. they eventually became 
uh, fast forward. Fast forward, right. Um, so, yeah, that meant that I didn't really have as much time for stand-up anymore because I was just – Yeah. That was – we did 64 hours of comedy in two years. We're doing 32 hours a year. It was wow. just – it was killer. So, writing, writing most days of the week as well? Yeah, you're just working – yeah, it, it was – there was – I think there was a couple of studio days, one OB day, a writing day, and a live night. Mm. And just if you weren't, if you weren't performing, you were writing. Mm. Do you remember what that rated back then? It was quite a high rate, wasn't it? It, it was, was huge. Yeah. yeah, it 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 took on it doubled sixty minutes rating. Wow! So it came. It started on a Thursday night, and then it took over from the Dolly Parton hour on a <laughs> Sunday night. I think. I think that's right. Uh, and it. It was huge because it was Australian characters. And it's an interesting show because it was broad-based, but it knew its audience. Mm. It was 7.30, Sunday night. It was, it was kids in pyjamas and, and yeah. mum and dad sitting on the couch. It wasn't, it wasn't inner city sophisticated at all, but it did what it did very well. And it it was one of those great things, and same as fast forward full frontal yeah. sketch shows through the nineties that you could go to school or go to work the next day, yeah. and you just really yeah the, the, whole, the water yeah. cooler sort yeah. of conversation. There yeah. was no you couldn't watch it again the next day like you can now. Oh, that's right. You know, yeah, you just remember yeah. as much as you can so you could make your friends laugh. Yeah, yeah. The next day, and the characters are what really resonated. Mm. Kylie Mullen, you know, Colin Fritter, and Uncle Arthur, and Colin yeah. Carpenter, and <laughs> those guys who you know you I still quote to today. Yeah. Um, it was enjoyable, but r- incredibly hard. Mm. Up until that point, before comedy company, were you unsure where things were going to go? Yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. And then but, after that, did you think? Was- well, yeah. I, I, as I said before, the it not even uh, the only place they sort of did comedy was Hey Hey at Saturday, but you didn't even get stand up gigs on that. Mm. Uh, getting on to Hey Hey kind of happened a bit later on, if you had a bit of a profile. Yeah. So you really had nowhere to go. I don't know what I was thinking really. I was just thinking, well, I can I can teach a bit. I don't know, and I just sort of rolled along. Yeah. What we didn't have was the number of avenues you have now, which is there's podcasting, there's mm. YouTube, there's you can you can pick up a phone and make something now yeah. and get it out to the world instantly, um, yeah. instantly, and mm. you can you can edit at home, you can do all that. So basically, we had, n- had nothing. Then mm. the networks, you know. Had you cornered because they were the only ones who had a camera and a, right, you know, and, and they're yeah. the only ones who could get it out there. Yeah. But I suppose the comedy company. There were other shows. There was there was some stuff on the ABC that resonated. Um, the Andy Jack show, and then there was the Wendy Harmer one. The oh, again, I can't remember the name of it so long ago. But so things were just starting to break where mm. there was some some level of crossover. So then comedy had a bit of cachet then. So the network sat up and went, oh okay, if you give someone their head. You, they 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 may be able to, and they the networks really did leave us alone much of the time. Mm, well yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Uncle Arthur. Yeah. And that was a, sh- a character from your stand-up. Without yes, it was. Where, yeah. where did you get the idea for? That was my father. I just. Oh. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just. I well, I it followed Humphreys, and it was basically write what you know. Mm. So I used to do impersonations of my dad, and. He, we used to have a home video. We he, we used to ha- have slide nights, and we used to have home movies. So basically, my first stand-up bit was a slide night, pretending that the audience were around at my house. Okay, and then the slides were sketches, effectively. Yeah, yeah. So that character was really honed in front of a live mm. audience. So when it came to the screen, it was I knew him three dimensionally. <laughs> um, 
so that was that was really good. And there was other characters I did, but that character was. I basically went to the wardrobe one day and pulled out my dad's old suit, his <laughs> glasses, his. I never asked. I just took them. His old false teeth, um, his slippers, his everything, mm. and I put a pillow down my pants. <laughs> and I remember when it got to television. I was pretty clever because I'd pinned a pillow to a singlet, and it was it was rancid. Because ne- you have this thing where you never want to wash away the magic in the character, yeah. so I never washed the singlet and washed, and they and I never washed the suit. And very quietly, the wardrobe department said, "We might just make you another." Uh, yeah. it was, wasn't there scenes where he was water skiing at times? Wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, we did everything, <laughs> everything. Not always me, but yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> After the comedy company, you had a good run through the nineties with fast forward, full frontal. Yeah, I left the comedy company. I was, t- I just was tired, and I just wanted a year off. So I crossed over to Seven. I did some stuff at Tonight Live, and fast forward is happening. And I remember Michael Veach saying, "Do you think you're too good to be on fast forward?" And I went, "No, no, I just, <laughs> I, I'm just tired. I, I'm tired from doing sketch comedy. I just mm. haven't got anything left in the tank. I just want to have some time away from it." So I had a year there, and then the following year I came in, and it was it. They were very welcoming, but it was difficult because they were so well established. Mm. But luckily, I linked up really well with Michael Beach, and we came up with some with some characters and stuff that right. you know. Because you got to, it was interesting when you leave one show, you got to leave everything behind. Oh right, yeah. No, so you can't. Yeah. You're not bringing all your all the mm. characters you've already done. Mm-hmm. You've got to start afresh. So, and that's great because it's you know a new challenge. But yeah, I then did through the early nineties. I was doing a bit on Tonight Live, and fast forward, mm. yeah. And then that went into the, the Jim Owen show as well. You're on yeah, that. the Jim Owen sort of came onto the stand-up scene. I met him and had done a bit of stand-up with him and he got an offer through Artist Services to do a show. So I helped him out with Bob and – I used to help out a lot of people actually. I'd sort of drop into their shows because I didn't really want my own show. Mm. I was happy just to help people because I could write and perform. Yeah. I um, So, yeah, I did. I don't know how many series of Jim Owen I did. It was – Two or three, I think. Mm. Mm. Do you think that period, late eighties through the probably the late nineties, would is the best Australia will ever get for sketch comedy in the in like terms of opportunities for performance and TV? Well, yeah, there? that's it's really interesting because now you're kind of on your own. Mm, yeah. You've either got to make it with a podcast or a stand up, or I mean, you look at someone like Ronnie Chang and like that, where you where they work hard and they go through the ranks and they mm. have a you know a high profile internationally. Um, but he's, he's probably one in a million. Though. One in a million, yeah. exactly. Back in the eighties, you could join a team and then gently try things with the security of a team, mm. and you could thrash out ideas with other people. And you could. So I think I know that. That's part of the reason I don't I don't do that much stand up anymore because I just I prefer working with people. Right. Even now when I do a bit of stand up, I, I do it on stage with Dave O'Neill. We mm. just get up on stage and we still do stand up, but we just have a chat. Have a chat. Mm. It's that thing where you can you're there for each other, but it's still essentially stand up. Um, so in answer to your question, yeah, it, it was an environment where you could do your not your training, but you could learn how to be on a set. You could mm. you could learn to write. You could you know, and if you've got a crazy idea, and you wrote it kind of on the Monday, sometimes on the Thursday, you walk past and they were building the set. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Which is very exciting. Yeah. So you were doing mini v- versions of 
silly ideas. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the great thing about sketch comedy. It's it's a lower risk. You don't mm. have to come with up with the ultimate sitcom idea or mm. or movie, you know, um, treatment. You get to play with the silly ideas or or the regular characters that you've, you've developed. Um, as far as development, I think there's in terms of stand up, we're there's like world class in a, mm. in Melbourne, mm. Australia. Likes of you and your generation, um, there's so many wonderful. You go on any given night, you go to any venue, you're going to see pretty high quality of stand up. Mm. It would be great to see those people having flight of fantasy and being able to do other things yeah. with that. And I'd yeah. be great to see them, whether that is sketch or character based or, or whatever it is. Um, and that's where the, the comedy festival comes in. I get a little disappointed when I see that. With the comedy festival, it's someone with a microphone doing an hour. As much as I admire their ability to do an hour, it's really an hour version of what they already do. Mm. And sometimes I think, isn't this an opportunity for you to work with someone else and maybe do something that's completely yeah. off, out of the, out of the at, box? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, I, I'll always guarantee. I, I guarantee that whatever risk you take, even if it fails, something still will, good will come out of it. Because there's no doubt you've got little voices in your head that want to. Want a platform? Yeah. Want it? Want and you can do it within stand up, but it's a, a certain style that that not limiting, but audience, as I said before, audiences love make believe. Yeah, they love it. They love yeah. storytelling. Mm. They love it. Like on radio, when you went with the guys from um, the Working Dog guys when they did the Late Show, and when they did the when they did when characters ring into a radio station, mm. in char- people just they love it. Yeah. Yeah. And and we never grow up, mm. you know. So anyway, I, I, I admire the stand-ups that I see now, but I, I just wish there was a little bit more risk-taking. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, I would yeah. I would like to do more, maybe incorporate more sketches and things into my stand-up, but I feel like the main way I can make money is through stand-up and doing clubs because there, there just doesn't seem to be an avenue now. Yeah, I could make sketches for online, but, you know, it may not go anywhere. But there's just not as many uh, TV people keen for sketch comedy anymore. It's almost like you, you see a new sketch show will come up and everybody's like, oh, here we go. And yeah. it's almost like comedy company, Fast Forward Full Frontal, has done all the best stuff and people are like, you know what, I don't think you'll be good, as good as that. Don't worry about it. Yeah, look, it's, yeah, network television's got a lot harder. I mean, back then – there was only one box in the room that that had entertainment on it, and, mm. and so therefore there was a bit more money around. And now, now that you're under the pump, now unless you unless you sort of can really rate pretty quickly, you're not going to last that long. I wonder about the evolution of things. I wonder. I sometimes think that the idea of to do a sketch show comes before the idea of in, in, encouraging some sort of level of talent, rather than a network going. I like what you do. Mm. I'd I'd like you to like to go further with you. Yeah. They tend to go. They sort of create the box and then they fill it. Yeah. So, so it kind of becomes a fake friends show, whereas people pretend to be uh, like minded. And and I would rather see a group evolve, maybe in the live scene, or identify something. I mean, I would, with your sensibility, I'm not going to sit here and don't worry. I'm not going to sit here and give you advice or anything. Oh, no. But your your sensibility <laughs> is very special, and you're doing stuff that leans itself very much to some sort of narrative, mm. I believe. Because I think with what you do, you go on a 
you take us on a little journey through your day, so mm. to speak. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of your point of view. Mm. Now, to me, there's a story there waiting to be told. Yeah. You've yeah. just got to work. I mean, obviously, that takes every time to take that further. I would question, I would say, yes, I think you could do something on stage. Mm. Right. With whether it would be audio visual, whether it would be with or just with another person, another person, mm. or, or another form, or another, you know, the, there's something in it. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Uh, in 2001, Russell Coit's All Aussie Adventures yep. hit the screens. Uh, yep. You made that with Working Dog. Yep. Uh, the people from, of course, uh, the, uh, the Castle and yep. uh, the Dish yep. fame. Yep. Uh, Russell Coit, was that uh, another one of your characters that you had in the, in the I was band? doing the panel, and which was a Working Dog produc- production. Um, and so you'd be in the office and you'd just walk back and forth, you know, because you were in there doing the panel. And then you'd walk past... Tom's office and you say what are you doing Tom and he's go, he would say I'm working on this character he said I think there's a group of, there's, a, there's a character based on Steve Irwin Troy Dan mm. Malcolm Douglas the Leyland brothers oh I said that sounds interesting I'm, I can't remember how much later he said to me would you like to do it and I went hey whoa hang on whoa <laughs> steady on he said, this is the great thing about working dogs, they never commit to anything until they feel as though they've, they've worked out how they want to do it, to it essentially. He said, look, all we're going to do is we're going to go away for the weekend up to central Victoria. We're going to take a camera and we'll throw together an outfit. And <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll have a think about the character. Um, and he said, we'll film it. And if you don't like it uh, or if we don't like it, it'll never be seen. Okay. So, knowing, so if, you know, if you go and shoot a pilot normally, you're going, well, I better be good, I better be funny because a network is going to watch this. Mm. But when you think to yourself, well, it won't necessarily be seen, you take bigger risks. Okay. So you pull your pants down further effectively because you know if this doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Mm. So that was made with nobody expecting to see no, it. No, nobody and- expecting to see it. And the character started off being – we made him – a little more aggressive than he was. <laughs> okay. And we made it for an hour and we remember, I remember watching it back and we go, we don't like him when he's angry. He was a little bit, he got in people's face a bit more mm. and we ended up shooting that and then cutting it down to half hour. Because, well, that's right. We it initially had a narrative to it. So well, there was more, much more story, and the show, and what we realised that people didn't really necessarily want the story, they wanted the jokes, mm-hmm. and the problem was when you have a narrative, if you shoot a joke, and it's imperative to the narrative, 
you can't drop the joke because there's a bit of storyline in there. Mm. So you have to do that scene. Yeah, yeah. And we wanted the luxury to be able to go, we'll shoot that joke and if it works, it's in. And if it doesn't work, it's not in. So basically, we just had an A to B scenario. Mm-hmm. I'm here, but I've got to get across the state to this cattle muster. <laughs> so whatever happens on the way, yeah, he happens to come across and you just insert the jokes. And we used to rate the jokes sort of A, B and C. And we... We'd start off with an A, then with a couple of Bs, then a couple of Cs, mm-hmm. and, then th- and then a bit of narrative, yeah. a bit of, sorry, a bit of um, uh, history. So it, it evolved in a very um, interesting way. And I took lots of risks because I knew that whatever I shot didn't necessarily mm. get in. <laughs> and I didn't – it was an interesting show because Tom would give me – we'd write it. And I'd learn about, I don't know, 50 or 60 scenes. And then we would just go away for a week. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't know what I was shooting from day to day. I, w- I, wouldn't, know, I wouldn't even know what the next scene was. Right. Um, because I didn't want to get ahead of myself. Because mm. thinking, the worst thing you can think to yourself is, it's all about me and i got to be really funny all day for the next mm. 12 hours. Yeah. So I knew what the dialogue was, and as I was walking to set, they would just hand me the script and go, you're about to do the the fire scene where the billy falls over and you burn your foot. And I go, yep, 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 got the dialogue, and into it. And then I would walk away from that scene, forget about it, Mm -hmm. and and I wouldn't know what the next scene was. So (laughs) if you'd said to me, do you want to do a a show that's totally based on you without any other comedy performers around, the only other performers around you will be real people because all the people we used in that show were real. Mm. 90% of them. There were some people from local theatre companies that we used to get. Yeah. But everyone in there was real. So if you spoke to a farmer, he was the real farmer who owned that farm. <laughs> um, and you'd be giving him direction. I remember doing a scene where the guy was coughing too much while I was trying to explain <laughs> something, but he quite, wasn't quite coughing right. His timing wasn't right quite right comedically so I had my five foot on his foot so I'm doing the dialogue going yeah it's been a pretty tough winter out somewhere out here it's getting pretty dry and I said every time I squeeze your foot with my foot can you cough so it's like a one man band so I'm squeezing his foot and he'd go (coughs) and I go can you not do that and then because he was a farmer he would think that I was talking to him and he'd go oh no Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to. Didn't you want me? Yeah, so when I squeeze your foot, you cough. And when I get mad at you, I'm not mad at you, the character. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. So, you know, so it's been pretty tough around here. Can you not? Can you stop doing that? Can you just not? Um, because it's getting really annoying when you just just answer the question when I ask you the question. Um, so a lot of the time with that show, too, we would go out and we would just find stuff and make jo- jokes up about it. Like, mm. I remember one day Tom said, We've got a four-foot frozen crocodile tomorrow. What do you want to do with it? <laughs> and I said, Russell Coit gets bitten on the cock. <laughs> and we went to bed, got up the next day, we're at a billabong, <laughs> and there I was standing there about to go in the billabong, and and uh, they were stitching a – they put a bit of wood down my pants <laughs> and then attached the crocodile to it and stitched it on. <laughs> and the only joke was I went in to get the crocodile – and it bit me on the cock. <laughs> Welcome to classy comedy. But it, it was it was often like that. We would we would um, just turn up and use what they had. If they had a dead cow in the top paddock, we'd use that. If they, <laughs> if they they they'd say there's an old house that we're about to knock down. 
you can do what you want with it. Right. So we would go, well, Russell's – So we and we've got a, gray, a, a backhoe grader thing. Do what you want to it. <laughs> and we've got a guy who can use it. <laughs> so you just go, we can wreck a house. <laughs> so you think of the reverse of that. Mm. You have to build a house to wreck it. Or you, mm. So we, we used a lot of what was already there and wrote the jokes kind yeah. of backwards. Plus we would all bring our own stuff as well. So were you actually going to the places in Australia you said – you're at? Is it, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, we would get, we would shoot. Basically, we'd do a top a, a tropical shoot, which is around Byron Bay. We we would do a farm shoot, which is central New South Wales. We'd do a desert shoot, which was around Alice Springs, uh, and then we would do a stunt shoot, which was on a farm where the prop guy, props builder had a property and had his shed there. Yeah. Um. So we could build the prop, take it out into the paddock, shoot it. So it was kind of like we didn't have to take the props mm. to far north Queensland. That's great. And then we would shoot um, – we'd take the car and just shoot it in deserts and do aerials and mm. stuff like that. So that, so basically you shoot a, sh- a shot of Russell driving through the desert and I turned up at, pretending wherever I was and then <laughs> basically cutting to Seymour. Yeah. yeah. Had to, I mean, people don't really want to know that stuff because, yeah. it, it, you know, but it was, it was um, very simply shot with mm. a very small crew. Mm. Uh, you did some – there were some scenes where Russell gets himself into some dangerous situations. Were you, did you ever have any times where you actually got a little bit burnt or – Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were – yeah. Um, the, f- well, the second day of shooting, they said, can you ride a motorbike? And of course, you know, can I ride a motorbike? Of course I can ride a motorbike. Um, so then they said, we'll just get some shots of Russell riding a motorbike. Mm. You know, go past the camera, go down the hill, go around. You don't have to do dangerous. Right? This looks like you're on the way to somewhere and look important. And they said, we've got this farm bike here. You can use that. Yeah, no worries. So I ride past the camera really fast because I'm really good. <laughs> and I'm going down the paddock hill towards the fence and the throttle locks open. <laughs> so I didn't know where the kill button was. It didn't – the brakes weren't working properly. So I just – Jumped off the back of it <laughs> and hit the ground pretty hard. I'm just trying to think. There was another time too. Did you keep I'm, that? Did they keep that? They didn't keep no. that. No. <laughs> but in the last series, I did a scene where Russell had a tent on top of his car that folded out into the into a tent on the back of the car, and the car then drove down the hill and dragged the tent with Russell in, on the inside of it. <laughs> In doing that scene, I did get a little bit caught up, and I get the you have a safe word, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty dumb. <laughs> which was stop James because James was the driver. Okay, and if I say stop James, that means all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Stop everything. I'm getting hurt. Mm-hmm. I fell over and was being dragged, and I was screaming stop, stop, stop. Because I forgot to say stop, James, oh, <laughs> it dragged me down the hill. I didn't get hurt, but it was a bit of a reality check. Yeah. Because So if you see that scene, you can bring it up on YouTube actually, um, I really got dragged down the hill. Mm. Uh, then in 2002, uh, yes. possibly one of Australia's greatest ever comedy yeah, uh, very creations. lucky. Very lucky. Uh, Kath and Kim yep. hits the screens. You play Kath's boyfriend, then husband. Yep. Kel. Yep. When you f- read the first script for Kath and Kim, I know they they played characters on 
uh, Big Girls Blouse and yes. shows like that. Yes. Uh, but when you read, read the first script for Kath and Kim, episode one, what were your thoughts when you read? That's a good question. Um, the script, I just thought it was a fantastic script. Mm. I thought it was the characters were well observed. It was it had story. Um, it had fantastic jokes, and it just it stood up in sense of drama. The character Kel had existed in some sketches with Michael Veach, okay, which they brought across into the show. Kel became I don't know whether he was called Kel in the sketch show. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Kath and Kim relationship um, developed on that sketch show, and they brought Kel in there, and then they went to series and they said, "Would you bring Kel to the screen?" Mm-hmm. So the character was kind of two-dimensionally developed yeah uh but what the the girls did with that character and all the characters was made them three-dimensional we gave them a life yeah really and the girls did that i'm not taking i'm not taking claim of that incredibly like a joy of a show to do Mm. uh it was as much fun as it as it looked like it was on stage and um on, on the tv to be sitting in a scene where you've got you're surrounded by Jane Turner, Gina Riley, and Magda Jabansky. Mm. You didn't have to do anything. Yeah. You just <laughs> went along for the ride. It was, just, and a lot of that stuff, like a lot of those scenes, you know, you're being funny, but you're actually being more authentic to the character, mm. more authentic to the to the reality of the character. So you're not as much as we would, we would dance funny and do funny. <laughs> we would do funny things, but it was never. It was never played for sketch funny. It was more mm. – and look, that sh- look, there's no doubt those characters were heightened, mm. but it was never f- – the comedy was, never felt forced to me because it was always based in – and those people really loved each other. Mm. They really loved each other and as much as Kath and Kim were at each other, they loved each other and yeah. Magda loved the world and <laughs> Brett was a good guy and Kel was a good guy yeah. and they just go, just going, oh – I, I like their world and yeah. I like their little adventures and I like their tension and I like I like it's all that kitchen table stuff. Mm. Um, oh, they, they're created to laugh at, but they're all endearing. You, in, you yes. love you love yeah. them all. Like yeah. they all you knew yeah. someone like that. Yeah, it's very Australian, and you know, yeah. everybody knows a Kel or a, you know, a, like yeah. a butcher that's similar. And yeah, just, they're very passionate people. The earth, yeah, lovely yeah. people. Yeah, they'll they'll do anything for, and they love their job. They love their wife. Mm. They love their family. It's just and yeah. simple, simple, simple. Life. Yeah. yeah, sure they. The way they dress and the way they act, then mm. they're the, the, they don't quite get things right. <laughs> but I guess that's that you see a little bit of yourself in that, and, and you, you connect with it. But yeah, look, that that show, show I can say because I didn't write it, it still resonates. Yeah, it's oh. just gone on Netflix in the mm. US, and it's resonating there now yeah. with with audiences. So that's really exciting. And pe- young people now, are, yeah, are just discovering it for the yeah. first time, and I think that'll just keep happening. It yeah. just holds up. And well, it's good storytelling. Mm, yeah, it's good storytelling and and great dialogue, really good performances, yeah. and well directed. So it's mm. you know, and I can say that because it's true. And but I didn't. I was part of it, mm. but I didn't. You know, I was part of the band, but I didn't write the songs. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was. You know, I was. What was I? Ringo Starr? <laughs> playing the drums, maybe? <laughs> uh, and it's so Australian as well. It's, yeah. It's like yeah. That is what – like Americans will be watching that on Netflix and that is – Well, it's funny that Americans are getting the sensibility of it. You would, mm. Yeah, because you, you wonder about that sort of stuff. And it's it's sad in a way you think that you've made something and then they try to do an American version of it. Why not – I wonder why they do that. I wonder why they just don't 
mm. go with the original version. Yeah. Because if it's good, it'll still work. Yeah, absolutely. The world's a smaller place. You just uh, need to give it a bit of time. You didn't watch a few episodes. Yeah, what like about. anything. Yeah. I remember when I brought it home for my partner and we, I had the whole series before it was released. And I watched it with her, but I watched her watching it. And she didn't laugh. Right. And she did a little bit, but not much. But she was locked in on it. And it finished. And I went, oh, well, she didn't enjoy it. (laughs) And I went, well, we had a great time doing it. Yeah. And that's all that really matters because you can't control what happens when you you, you push the boat Mm. out onto the water. Um, And then she went, can we watch another one? Anyway, she watched the whole series (laughs) in one go. Great. And – has to this day, you know, <laughs> oh, we still watch it. I occasionally put it on, and it's an easy show, an easy show yeah. to watch. And I know that I'm there, but I see the character for what he was. Mm. And the, when you're doing the character, you're not seeing it that way. You're, yeah. you're not seeing yourself, you're not thinking about how funny this is. Yeah. You're thinking how much, you're thinking of the drama, of what, yes. yeah, the reality of it. Well, I speak mm. to friends and you know, you've got your binge, you watch old episodes of Seinfeld or Frasier mm. or something mm. and Kath and Kim is in that. And it yeah, holds up. It holds up. It's in that same conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there much of Glenn Robbins in, in Kel Knight? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think most of the time, if in doubt, the level that I hit, I kind of went, what, what would I do in this situation <laughs> if I was upset by this or I was, I was jealous or I, yeah. how? what would I really think and feel? Occasionally the girl, the Kel would do things that I probably wouldn't do, but the girls would push me for the comedic value and then I would see it on screen and go, they were exactly right. Um, I remember there was some stuff where Kel got a little bit arrogant because he became shop owner of the sh- – he became <laughs> shop – I don't know, a butcher of the month or something, a butcher of the year. Yeah. And he kind of took himself fairly seriously. And, <laughs> and he was about to turn 50, I think, and he got his hair braided. Yeah, the and convertible. I'm going, yeah. I'm going, Kel wouldn't do that. But but then I realised as I watched it, I'm going, that's <laughs> that's much more valuable than it being yeah. you know, truthful to my sensibility. <laughs> um, of all your characters you've played over the years, do you have a, a, a soft spot for one or a favourite that you – not really. I mean, I sp- they all, they're all different sides of me, really. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, Uncle Arthur was the mischief side of me, slightly arrogant. Russell Coit was the ego side of me. Kel was the metrosexual side of me. <laughs> so I don't really – I just consider myself really lucky that I, you know, I get to do them. They, they, they're all valued in their own way. I mean, mm. I know that sounds like a cop-out, but there's, yeah. there's, no, there's no real favourite. I mean, how can you compare – I mean, working with the girls was incredible, mm. just incredible. And, you know, I'd do it again in, in a heartbeat. Um, the others are probably more solo-related. Right, yeah, yeah. It, you know, being on your own in the outback and doing stuff alone, it's really fun, mm. but I, I I still do yearn working in groups, mm. working with ensembles, working mm. with other people. What, what show made you break the most, break character and burst into laughter? Yeah, showed you have to do the most takes. Oh, I'm pretty good, but Russell does when I do because what happens is we do the scene and then we keep rolling. Okay, yeah. and I do. It does make me laugh when I see Russell trying to correct himself. <laughs> there was long conversations that didn't get to where where he basically, if something goes wrong, 
how he'll always turn it around and justify that it was someone else's fault. It's mm. never his fault. And the links he'll go to yeah. to say, well, if you hadn't parked your car there in the first <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah. I mean, I didn't park the car there. You parked the car yeah. there. Sure, the tree fell on it. And yeah. that wasn't my fault. <laughs> I didn't know the tree was going. And it's just the thing is, anyway. Um, so Sometimes the next shot starts with him still... Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Can I just say that you parked the car the wrong because I didn't. Uh, I love that. So that that used to make me laugh. Yeah. But the fun part about that show was we would film all day, then we'd go out for dinner, and then we go we assemble in a motel room in the middle of nowhere and watch the rushes, mm-hmm. and then watch all of that stuff, and him just <laughs> so trying being so <laughs> arrogant. And so trying to save face, that used to really make me laugh. The girls were terrible um, as far as um, laughing. Mm. We used to do we used to do stuff where you would shoot at the house, so you know, where you shoot um, you'll shoot morning stuff, mm-hmm. but then in the afternoon you'll do night scenes. So the house wasn't dark, so mm. they had to make they put covers on the windows, and the house becomes night. Uh, yeah. So you you walk from outside. You walk into a house at night, basically. Mm. Uh, every time we would have lunch, we'd go do night scenes in the afternoon, the girls would go tropo. <laughs> Pete and I, would they would be laughing at this some nuance. They'd be crying. <laughs> and Pete and I would look at each other going, I don't get that. I don't know what they're laughing at. <laughs> they've gone a little crazy again, but it's going to be okay. Um, but no, I was pretty good. The only time I really lost it, is when I used to dance with Kath when we used to do Irish dancing and we'd both be looking out front and I'd look across at Jane and she was going for it so hard, (laughs) so earnestly, I'd have to turn around and dance the other way for a minute and just (laughs) compose myself and go, oh, fuck, that's funny. Come on, come on, come on, come on, get back, get back, get back and then turn around and be be authentic again. But um, she used to get me... I love, adored dancing with her because her, 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 the nuance is just oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, to oh, myself and the Australian public from late 80s through the 90s, then Russell Coit, Kath and Kim, mm. it looks like you've just had an amazing career through that period. Was there any times where uh, there was any setbacks in your career that you still annoyed now? Or it just seems like you had a, a great run through that time. Has it all just been rosy or has there been times where you've you've uh, struggled for work or just thought, oh, no, that was a shit idea or anything like that? I'm pretty I, – I, I'm renowned for not uh, – of hard to get to do a gig. Right. Like the panel, they had to – like the upper middle bogue and they had to take me out for lunch three times. <laughs> and it's just like – it's my it's not the show. It's my own confidence in being able to yeah. deliver what they want. Yeah. I don't think I'm uh, – I'm not sure that I can do exactly what you – you know, that with the panel, you know, do I want to sit next to Rob's highly intelligent people and try to talk about – you know, I hardly watch the news, let alone mm. talk about it. Um, but then I found my niche in that. Uh, so career-wise, no. The only, I reckon I went through a hard period when I wasn't working as hard or wasn't working with anyone and it was that thing of just spending too much time alone. It's that old thing mm. of getting a bit older and having a level of – success and a level of financial success where you don't have to do the gigs that you don't want to do. Right, yeah. And in a way, that's not a blessing. That's that's a bit of a curse because mm. it means that you can spend too much time in your head. Yeah. So I think that 
was and still is a bit hard. I but I still I do a podcast, I do mm. some radio, but I'm reluctant to take on anything too big because I know the reality of it's careful what you wish for when mm. you take it. I know, I know that's a real first world problem, you know, knocking back a gig on television. But I've done quite a number of sitcoms and, and mm. sketch comedy, yeah. and I know the reality of what they what they demand of you. And you look at the girls from Kathy Kim; they're not they do a bit of theatre and, mm. and they don't do that much else. Uh, so a lot of the people that I've worked with have kind of drifted away from it. It's hard work. Yeah, yeah. it's incredibly hard work. Um, well, it's been, and it's been a long time as well. You've yeah, a lot of yeah. years of doing that. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I don't. I but I still yearn working with good people. I work a bit with Dave O'Neill at the moment. I yeah. still work with with the Working Dog guys. I'm lucky enough. I mean, I've, I consider myself incredibly lucky. I still, and there's a show on. Have you been paying attention? And they, I watched that and I went, oh, that's a good show. Um, and then they said, do you want to do it? And I went, no, <laughs> no way, I can't. And they said, look, you know. You'll be fine. We reckon you can do it. And so I'm lucky that I've still got little things that tick the meter yeah, over. Yeah. And I've still got my hand in. But the most important thing for me is that I'm doing stuff with people, as I said before. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I reckon I went through a, f- a few years ago. There wasn't a lot happening. I was, you know, and this, as I said, still a little bit of that going on. But I don't want the opposite of that. I don't want to be snowed under and. Yeah, yeah. yeah just find yeah, the right balance. Yeah. Get away for some golf in New Zealand. Head yeah, for a surf. Go for a surf. Do your podcast. Uh, your yeah. podcast, which is called Somehow Related. It's all right. You got everything else right. <laughs> uh, Somehow Related with Dave and Neil, where we, we yeah. take two topics, or Siri or Sam gives us two topics that don't seem like they're related, and they mm-hmm. are. And it's just a conversation in trying to find how they're related. Mm. And Sam, or Sam, we call her Sam, helps us through that journey. And. Um, it's a conversational uh, journey, and um, people seem to like it. Yeah, it mm. sounds. It sounds like it's just a nice little thing to do, like you're yeah. saying. Just yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Go yeah. and see Dave. Go and keep see that me. muscle working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. We'll keep an ear out for that. Uh, somehow related podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's this one called again? <laughs> uh, now I usually plug social media at the end. I don't have of, any. But you don't have social media. No. You see, I, I I like what you do. I like that you just come out you do something and then you, you don't you, you're never a new idea or you never see you in the back page of papers oh yeah you know well uh, i don't i you know that comes from uh, you, you live and learn i did some stuff years ago and i got burnt okay so it's that thing of if i've got something to talk about i'll talk about it mm. but if i haven't i won't yeah so if i've got a show coming up i'll do some radio interviews and talk about the show mm-hmm. and then i'll go but i don't really want to talk about the fact that my roof fell in because we had a big storm in our house. I don't, <laughs> you know, trauma. I nearly died. I don't. You know, I don't want to do any of that. Or, <laughs> so I don't have any social media. Mm. I will. I do have Instagram, but only for me to look at. I saw that, and you have one one image. Is that your account? That's not me. I oh, know. No. Okay. I won't say what it is, but it's my mother's name. <laughs> My mother's name. So, if I, if you're out there and you get liked by my mother's name, which I'm not going to say, what it is, uh, that's me. So I, I have a little bit of a look. I don't get a lot from it. Okay. I don't get a hell of a lot from it. Mm. It's a bit of a. It's like browsing a magazine in a waiting room a little bit. Mm. Um, but I do. I like to think that I keep in touch a little bit. I don't. I've never seen Facebook, mm. and I Twitter. I, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. I do feel like I need to hang around with the likes of people like you and Dave O'Neill to keep me in touch. <laughs> right. And they, they tell me what's getting traction here and there. Yeah. Well, Dave will send me stuff all the uh, every now and then. But 
I kind of feel like I know what's going on. Mm. I, and I'd make an effort to go and see people if I, I think they're, you know, if, they, if I hear of someone or I hear of something, I'll make an effort. But, um, but no, no social media. Mm. I would love to do that. I would absolutely love. Like there's a week every year where I switch everything off and just lie around and don't watch cricket and don't do anything, which is next week. I'm excited about that. Uh, what will you What will you do in that week? I'll, I'll just lie around by a pool and will it be in nothing? It'll be in the city. No, out it out out in the Dandenongs. A family in laws, yeah. And yeah. I'll just do nothing. And you won't be looking won't. for validation because is there a level of validation that you look for? Ah, uh, because I get I, slightly I, addicted to, and I and I've realised what people are talking about now is that I do look at, and I got to stop doing it. They sent me the. The thing where you can look up how much you, that your all the graphs on your podcast—it's mm. very addictive. Yeah, yeah. And I went, I've got to stop looking at that yeah. because it, you start validating in terms of that, not in mm. terms of the, the the artistic quality that you're trying to bring to it. Really. Yes, yeah, yeah. I I feel like if you if you're in any sort of art now, you need to have social media. Yeah, uh, I feel like if you're not on there, you're just—I don't know—it's hard to spread the word about shows. Well, there's no doubt that yeah. Um, I have people who do when I'm doing a show, we have a person that just does it for me, right? Yeah, or does it a version of there's a Russell Coit one, or mm. there's a there's an Upper Middle Bogan, and they'll take photographs on set, and it'll mm. be on this and that, and blah, blah blah blah. But I don't, I don't do anything. The other one of the reasons I don't do anything is because I don't want to deliver something that's substandard and have people be disappointed. Because I know I followed a couple of people years ago. And I'm a big admirer of them, but then and they just put up basketball scores, or they just put up that <laughs> shot of them at a baseball game. I'm going, yeah. I actually want what you do. I don't yeah. want to know about your life that much. I want to know. I want some quality observation. Yeah. Some do, but most of the time, it's mm. it it feels indulgent. Yep. So therefore, I don't want to serve up a window to my life and then not put anything in it that's yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, there is a certain validation point for me. I think I'm getting better at it. With Instagram, Facebook, but I also feel like I just need to do it once every two or three days. Something on one of them just to keep that. Meaning you put something out there, yeah, just to yeah. keep. And is it is it is try it and build your followers and keep people? And do people respond when you put out something what you think is interesting? Uh, generally, yeah, yeah, people do. So you you won't look for it. You'll just go, oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I might be. I was in IKEA the other day, and yeah, I thought, oh, that'd be a funny photo, so I'll take that and put it up. <laughs> Right. Like yeah, because there's no doubt occasionally I'll see – but I wouldn't be seeing stuff every day. Maybe once a fortnight you might go, oh, that's an interesting right. wording or that's an interesting yeah. – or, you know, but I – Yeah, some friends do Twitter and tweeting six, seven times a day like a joke or a funny idea and I just couldn't do it. I just don't – I just save all that for stand-up. And is it usually at someone's expense or is it their sometimes, own expense? Sometimes it's a lot of self-deprecation uh, right. or just opinions on – Politics or whatever is in the news is generally what it is, uh, but I just, I just, the muscles I'd need to use to get that out there to a very small amount of people where I could be writing my jokes instead, yeah, which are going to be much beneficial, yeah, yeah. You know, much more beneficial in the future. As I have said in the past, I don't follow him. I'll wait till he writes a book and then I'll read his book. Ah, yeah, right. And that's kind of I know that you've crafted this. You're not just you know you're not giving me Vegemite on toast. You're giving mm. me a proper meal, but. Occasionally, I'll see something. I go, "Oh, that was." Yeah. I, I, you know, getting a bit older, I, I go have a couple of philosophical Roman philosophers that I that just bang me a little quote each day. Not that I get necessarily much out of it, but <laughs> just a nice little thought for the day kind of thing. I yeah. like the calendar stuff, but you know, yeah. but the fact that someone's got a nice meal at a restaurant, uh, <laughs> I don't know, really. Yeah. 
<laughs> get over yourself a little bit. A little bit, I think. Uh, yeah. Or it's a, it's part. It's probably part jealousy too. I go, oh, you're in another country. Oh, you're doing something that I can't do right now. So there's a little bit of jealousy there, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so nothing to plug, but have you got, have you got anything that you want All to plug? All I do, what do I do? I do 3AW. I do, uh, mm-hmm. I do a, a regular spot on uh, Ross and John Tuesday mornings and I do Sundays on 3AW. I've got a podcast with Dave O'Neill. Um, have you been paying attention? And... Yeah, we'd like to do more Russell Court, but we we're not sh- we don't want to do it for the sake of doing it. We want to do it when we've got the right jokes. Whether that happens again, like to think it would happen again. Not sure. Right, and mm. also keep an eye out for you down maybe Bell's Beach over summer. Well, look, yeah, if there's an old guy at the back on my board <laughs> just ripping it, it will be. Oi, Uncle Arthur! <laughs> hang five, Uncle Arthur. Hang ten. <laughs> Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Epis- thanks. Episode yeah. 50. Thanks so much for coming well, on. I'm a bit older than that, but uh, <laughs> I hope I brought a plate to your your beautiful uh, smorgasbord that you put up for your listeners. <laughs> you did indeed. Week. Yeah. Thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Thanks, Dan. Hey, hey. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out Glenn's podcast there. We mentioned uh, it's with Dave O'Neill and it's called Somehow Related. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts from. Also go back and watch some of Glenn's work online, Russell Coyd, Uncle Arthur, or check out some Kath and Kim if you're in the mood. Very funny stuff. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. This is episode 50, so there's 49 others there. Uh, you can check them out on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you listen on Apple Podcasts and you send a friend there, Uh, Get them to subscribe and give it a like or a rating. That'd be much appreciated. Uh, I'm also on Spotify. You can listen there. There's all 50 episodes on Spotify. If you listen there, send your friends there. Get them to uh, like it as well and join. Be much appreciated. Also, you can listen on my website, danielconnell.com.au. There's a podcast section there with all the podcasts on it. Uh, While you're on my website... You can also check out my gigs page. My new show, Cheers Big Ears, is now on sale for most festivals in 2020 around Australia. Uh, Come check that out. Uh, And if you're in a liking mood, I've got Instagram and Facebook. Uh, They're both Daniel Connell Comedy. You can give them a like or a follow. That'd also be much appreciated. I've also got Twitter, Daniel Connell uh, 3, at Daniel Connell 3, but can't say I use it that much, but give it a follow if you're in the mood. Uh, That's about it. Thanks very much, and take it easy.